before we jump into God's word, will you pray? Pray with me. Um, I encourage you, as we're praying, pray for your heart. Pray and ask God to um, deepen your faith in the good news of the gospel. Will you spend 15 seconds and do that? Will you pray for your neighbor's heart, who you're sitting next to? Pray for God to, to work in, in them, to, to deepen their faith in the good news of the gospel of Jesus in their place. Will you spend some time doing that? Now will you pray for me that um, as we open up God's word and I teach it and explain it and preach it, that um, it honors God and it makes sense to you. Will you pray for me? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit that illuminates your word, that magnifies Jesus um, in our midst. I thank you for the bond of unity that the Spirit brings to the body of Christ. I pray that you do that, not just here at Redeemer Church, but every faithful gospel-centered church uh, in this town, that you magnify the Lord God, the Son of God, as holy and as the only way of salvation. Will you do that uh, so that we can be unified in our purpose and mission here on this earth to get the good news of the gospel to the ends um, so that you can be magnified all the way to the ends of the earth. Will you do that? Meet us now as we talk and proclaim the good news that you accomplished and you planned long ago. Do it because you love us. Do it because you're great. Do it because you're glorious. Soften our heart. Uh, give us ears to hear the truth of the gospel now. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you for doing that. If you are new to Redeemer, welcome. This is a perfect time to be new to Redeemer because uh, we're going through a series called Values. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary of a church, August 22nd, I believe, is whenever we first launched our first visible gathering uh, as the body of Christ here in Wichita Falls. And, uh, and so we thought it'd be good before we jump back into another book of the Bible that we preach through because our conviction is you don't need to know uh, all the things that I know. You need to know what the Word of God says uh, and, and be changed and um, captivated by it. And so, for, but for the next six weeks or so, we're going to be going through a series called Values. And last week, if you're here with us, uh, we started with what is the gospel here at Redeemer Church? Uh, we're asking God to form us into a gospel-centered family of disciple-makers. That is our mission statement and our values, our, our follow and suit with that. We want to be gospel-centered in all that we do. 
We want to be disciple-making in all that we do, and we want to function together as a family of families here at this church. We want to function together as a family as we manifest our goals and values before uh, our holy God. And so what this series is going to do is it's going to solidify some of the things that we've been asking God to form into our hearts And we're going to use today uh, Galatians 2 to inform us of that. Because today we're going to focus on, since last week we talked about what is the gospel, we're going to talk about this week, what does it mean for us to be gospel-centered in all of our lives? What does it mean to be gospel-centered? What does it mean to have the gospel functioning in every aspect of our life? What does it mean for the gospel to be rooted to be central, to be the primary thing that we filter through in all of life. And so um, as a Christian, I hope this encourages, uh, encourages your faith to see what the implications of the gospel are for your everyday existence. And if you're not a Christian in this room, welcome. So glad that you would come and even listen to how we talk about how we're transformed by Jesus here. I'm so glad that you're here, but I hope what you recognize as we talk to one another as followers of Jesus, that you recognize that, oh, this truth of the gospel might be good news for even you. And I hope that's what you hear today. So let's unpack what we have here, what the Lord has for us in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, because I think we see three major things. We see the heart of the gospel, so I'm going to have to recap some of the gospel last week I primarily talked in Genesis 15, that, uh, which was the inauguration of the good news. God promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 15 that if you and I don't uphold our perfect side of the bargain, if we don't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, if we don't love our neighbor as ourselves, then he would die in our place. That's what he promised all the way back in Genesis. Remember the first book of the Bible, all the way back in Genesis chapter 15, that he was going to die in our place. And today, we're going to see more of the heartbeat of what the gospel actually is. And then we're going to talk about what gospel centrality is. And then we're going to end with the uh, effective power of the gospel and how it can transform our life. And so in verse 16 really shows us the heart of the gospel. I'm going to reread it. It says this. Follow along with me. It says, Yet we know that a person is not justified, that word not is really important, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, Tim Keller, whenever he uh, is writing about this text, he says there's really three things that we have to get right about this text that separates the two groups that are being talked about, primarily the gospel way and the way of the circumcision party, all right? And so there's two different ways that are being presented here, and those three things are this, faith, justification, and obedience. Faith, justification, and obedience. Now, what's really, really crucial about this is Paul is not nullifying that we don't need one of these things. Paul is saying that we need all of these things in order to live a life centered on Christ. It says it so plainly, and yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. That could be summarized as obedience, but through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see it all right there. Justification, 
Faith and obedience to the word of God. Because we know that the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It says it over and over and over again. And this is one of the things that Paul says throughout all of his epistles, is that there, there is this order, this order of salvation that we have to get right. And it revolves around these three words. And, I, and let me say this. It's really important that we understand that the Christian life, uh, there is an aspect to obedience about it, okay? There is an aspect of following the word of God in, in, in that um, is effectual and gives, uh, gives credence to life with Christ. I think my generation, my generation more than any other generation before, maybe, and that might be a bold statement, at least uh, in, in the generations that are here on earth today, my generation likes to lean towards this understanding that, you know what, following Jesus has absolutely, absolutely, there is no part of obedience. The word of God, and it's all, it's all Jesus and the word of God, the obedience to it really does not fit into the equation whatsoever, whatsoever. Now, Paul has issue with this in another writing to where in Romans chapter 6, he predicts that this is something that he constantly gets misunderstood by his audiences. In Romans chapter 6, it says, should we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? And then he goes on to say, absolutely not. By no means. And in verse 17, he almost says the exact same thing. He says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Certainly not. So should you keep on sinning so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. No way. No way. This is something that Paul is saying. This is a factor. This is a factor in the equation that is being presented in our text today. Here's another thing that is not being argued here. That's really important to understand because whenever we hear about the circumcision party, we like to think that this is just some weird sect that has absolutely nothing, nothing to do uh, with Christianity whatsoever. But look, the circumcision party here believes that Jesus is the Messiah. They come into fellowship with other Christians that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so we need to recognize that the argument is not faith in Jesus for salvation, because even the circumcision party says that we need faith in Jesus for salvation. And it's not, uh, obedience has no, uh, let's do away with obedience altogether, altogether. But the, here's the thing. The correct argument that he's trying to argue here is this. We need to get the order right. We need to get the order right of these three things, faith, justification, and obedience. Tim Keller goes on to say that the gospel way is whenever you believe in the Lord Jesus, whenever you have faith, at that moment, you are justified. At that moment, you are justified in your justification as you work it in from your mind to your heart produces a deep desire to obey and cherish the word of God. So justification comes by faith and then whenever you have really believed in the good news of the gospel, whenever your heart has been regenerated and you are justified, then the works of the law, the words of God, they become sweet honey to your lips. And you say, I, I, I need that. 
I want that. And what the circumcision party did is they flipped it. The circumcision party said this, you need to have faith in Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, and you need to obey as best as you can. And if you obey as best as you can, then you will be saved. Then you, you, see, you see the order? That is a radical shift and it completely changes your motivation. It completely changes how you view and see what salvation actually is. Uh, there's radically different motivation to the obedience of God here. Let me explain how. If you, if you in this room are having faith, right, and then saying, well, I also really need to obey in order for God to be pleased with me. If all of life is for the glory of God, if you exist for the purpose and pleasure of God himself, as Isaiah tells us in the first catechism in the Westminster Shorter Catechism says um, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him together um, forever. If, that, if those aspects are true about the Christian life, and I think they are, then whenever you obey, whenever you obey in order for God to justify you, who are you doing that for? Why are you being obedient? Why are you reading your Bible? Why are you praying? Why are you involved in Christian community? Ultimately, look at me. Ultimately, if you belong to the circumcision party, and really all religion is the circumcision party, have faith, do these things, do the right order of things, and then maybe God will accept you, whatever God it is. If you do those things, guess what? Your obedience will be self-centered, and it'll be continually anxious. It'll be self-centered and it'll be continually anxious because you'll be anxious because you'll always be wondering, am I doing enough? Have I earned enough? Uh, is God pleased with me enough? If I, have I striven and have I achieved enough? That's, that's the thing that's going to be the motivation of your heart. You'll be the hamster on the wheel saying, how much, how much faster do I need to go? How much more do I need to do? And ultimately, ultimately, this is the, the hardest pill to swallow. If, if you belong to the circumcision party and you believe that faith plus obedience is needed for justification, then who are you obeying for? You're really not obeying for God. You're obeying for you. You're obeying so that God will give you something. You're, you are obeying so that you don't have to be thrown into hell. You are obeying so that you don't have to... Uh, uh, so that God in his grace or whatever you say, uh, whatever is going on in your heart, uh, you would say that I'm obeying so that God does something for me, so that he has to do something for me. As, look, I've given you all this obedience. What are you going to do for me, God? And ultimately, you know what that is? That's selfishness. That's selfishness. Uh, you're not obeying for God's sake. You're obeying for your sake. But, but if you obey, but if you obey, after the fact that you have been saved, if you see that, if you see that, if you get this new paradigm shift of faith, perfect justification, and then delight in the word of God, delight in obedience of God, why are you obeying then? You're obeying because you just want to delight in God. You're obeying because you just want deeper intimacy with God. You recognize that I am saved based on no merit of my own. I'm saved by Christ's merit in my place, and therefore, I just want to be like him. I want to be near him. I want to delight and enjoy in him. So those are two radical 
radically different motivations. Do you see the difference? One produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And the other one produces anxiety, fear, shame, guilt. I didn't do enough. Man, what if I get found out for that? Man, man, man. Let me give another example. Let's, say, let's give an example of serving the poor. If, if you belong to uh, the circumcision party or if you belong to any other religious sect that is antithetical to the gospel, which is, again, faith, justification, obedience, then why are you serving the poor? If you belong to the circumcision party, like I said, then you're probably serving the poor and you're saying, man, now I bet God's pleased with me. Look, at, look how selfless that was. Look, I spent my Friday afternoon doing this. I, I spent my Saturday morning going and serving the poor. Now, surely God is going to bless me. Now, surely God is going to look at what I've done for the poor and say, now, now I'm going to give you what you want. You see how transactional that is? That it's not actually about honoring and loving God for God's sake, but it's really about loving other people and loving God for your sake. That's what's, that's what's going on here, is there's a radical difference between these two groups, uh, between the, the group that Paul is trying to communicate throughout the entire book of Galatians that, hey, don't forget the gospel way. The gospel way is that you are saved by faith through Christ alone. In that faith, whenever it justifies you and transforms your heart and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, guess what? You delight in him. You want to run to him. You want to open up your arms. You want to obey. So here's my question. When did this happen to you? When did you switch from the old order, the old religious order, to into the new, new order? Have, have you? Have you? Because here's the thing. I, I think I can say this soberly and with a clear conscience, and I, and I, don't, I don't delight in it. I don't delight in it at, at all. But I think most people in the Bible Belt, most of our churchgoers in the Bible Belt, they belong to the circumcision party. Let, let, me, let me kind of explain how this sounds. If you belong to the circumcision party, you're constantly justifying your lack of devotion for Jesus. Well, you know, I just, I, I just kind of struggle with that. I just kind of struggle with that. Uh, I know, I know I need to be reading my Bible. I know, I know I need to be praying. I know, I know I need to join the church. I need to do one of those gospel community things. I know I need to join one of those grow groups or whatever you call it. I know, I know, I know. And you're filled with guilt and you're filled with shame and you're filled with all these things that promote yourself rather than the other way of saying, Oh, man, thanks for showing me the gospel way. I, I do want in the depths of my heart to know more of God's word. I do want in the depths of my heart to fall on my knees and to go before him daily and say, God, you are my God. Teach me, mold me, shape me into the man or the woman that you have created me to be. God, I, I know that you have put gospel community around me for the sake of my sanctification to be more like you, and I will not neglect it because it is a good gift. It is a good gift. Do you see the different uh, motivations? Do you see the different motivations? Have you experienced the difference between the two? Or are you touchy? 
Whenever someone points out something in your life, are you, are you quick to justify yourself? Are you quick to self-preserve? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Both are presented here, and both have radically different motivations for obedience. Both have radically different motivations for obedience. The gospel way, the gospel way, growth in Christ is a delight. And the circumcision way, growth in Christ is a chore. It's a chore that you keep on, keep on struggling with. For so many of us, I, I, I think that the gospel is like a gift card that is steep, stuffed deep into a junk drawer that you know it's in there somewhere, but you never actually have used it. You never actually brought it out to redeem it, to, to, to use the power of it. So what is the gospel? You are justified by Christ alone. You're justified by faith in Christ alone. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And whenever you get that, whenever you get that, your motivation to grow in him is motivated out of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look at verse 20. Look at what verse 20 tells us. It says, I have been, this is Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. What does that mean? He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. Other places, Paul says, I've been risen with Christ. We talked about this in our gospel community on Wednesday night. If you're in my gospel community, um, I encourage you to uh, join Next Steps with Redeemer so that you can get into one of our gospel communities. But we talked about this. What does it mean for us to be justified? What does it mean? Number one, it means that our sins are now as far as the east is from the west. God has cast out our sin away from us. They, it is no more. It has no more hold in us. It's, it's as if that I died on the cross. It's as if I paid the penalty for my sin. And therefore, there can't be another penalty against Cody McMurray because Christ on the cross, he died for me. He died for everything wrong that I did. He, like, in, like he promised in Genesis chapter 15, what he did was he said, I am going to uphold Cody's side of the bargain even if he fails. Even if he fails. And on the cross, that's what he did. And so therefore, it is because God is just, it would be unjust for God to punish me again because he already punished Christ in my place. He already pu punished Christ in my place. But that, that's not all. That's not all. He, he, we're not just crucified with Christ. Other places, Paul says, we are risen with Christ. You know what that means? In the great exchange that when Christ died in my place for all of my sins, he also gave me all of his perfect righteousness. He lived the perfect life that I should have lived and that you should have lived. And so whenever we are raised with Christ, you know what that means? It means that God looks at you not just as a forgiven sinner, but as someone who has lived perfectly, perfectly, Everything that Christ earned, everything that he earned, he gives to his believers. Everything. We have been risen with Christ, and it doesn't even stop there. See, Cody, that's almost too much. That's almost too much for me to bear. I can't handle that much grace. Well, get, get this. He also adopts us. 
Not only does he wipe our slate clean, not only does he say, I, I look at you the same way I look at my son, Jesus Christ. He also says, and you belong to me. You are mine. You are mine. How could obedience not flow out of that with joy? Whenever that penetrates your heart, whenever that good news uh, transforms and goes from here to here, you see how that radically changes the reason why we obey, radically changes the way that we look at God's word, radically changes the way that we look at the directives that are found in the Bible. We say, is this the voice of my Savior? I, I'm going to run to that. Because I, the life I now live, I live by faith that as far as the east is from the west, so are my sins away from him. As, as, as much righteousness that Christ earned in my place by living the perfect life that I should have lived, he, he credited that to my account, and then he brings me in and prepares a home for me as an adopted son or daughter. Wow. Wow. It's as if God, in his grace, earned all of these badges and patches, and he puts them on your jumpsuit. He says, everything that I earned, it goes straight, it goes straight to you. Which order are you living in? What motivation do you have to obey the Lord? What order do you live in right now? Because the right order is the heart of the gospel. The right order. Faith, justification, obedience is the heart of the gospel. Now, let's talk about the centrality of the gospel. Uh, this will require a little bit of backstory, but let's uh, jump into verse 11. It says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, when they came he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So here's the backstory. You might be like, Cody, I'm not super up on my Jewish customs. Let me, let me kind of fill you in. There was two primary things that made the, the Jewish people, according to the Mosaic law, ceremonially clean so that they could enter into the presence of God and worship him on the Sabbath. Number one was sacrifices, and number two were the cleanliness laws. And the cleanliness laws, they had different things like uh, dietary restrictions. They had restrictions on what they can wear and even things that they could uh, physically touch. And it was, it was very, very hard to do. And, and if they came in contact with any of these things that were ceremonially unclean, they had to go outside the camp or they needed, had to declare themselves as unclean and, and separate. And you might be saying, Cody, that seems a little extreme. But during COVID, we can all kind of appreciate this a little bit. You know, there's no, uh, the, um, the kids' ministry never had any sick kids in it. You know, they were ceremonially clean the entire time. And whenever they came into uh, the presence of worshiping together as a congregation, but here's the thing. The Gentiles, who is basically everyone that weren't Jewish, um, they didn't follow these cleanliness laws. They didn't follow them. And so what that did is it created a separation. It created a barrier between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And uh, when Christ came, when Christ came, he says, "All, I, you know what, I, I actually uh, am the cleanliness laws. I'm the purity that you actually need. 
Because remember, there was uh, sacrifices as well. And uh, the sacrifice began with the Passover lamb that, you know, we talked about this in Exodus, whenever they slayed the lamb and they put the blood on the door on the doorpost so that the, the, the destroyer would pass over them and, uh, and it would be seen as a true sacrifice. And what these sacrifices showed them is that even if you follow all the clean laws perfectly, there's still something that separates you from God. Your sin still separates you from God. And when Jesus came, he came to be the truer and better Passover lamb, the once for all Passover lamb. And so therefore he fulfilled, he fulfilled uh, all the sacrifices so that therefore they didn't have to do sacrifices anymore. And he fulfilled the clean laws because Christ was saying, I am your purity. The purity that you're supposed to have outwardly with all these laws of what to eat and what to touch and what to wear I, uh, were really pointing to me. It was a foreshadow. It was a foreshadow. So what did this do? Like I said, it created a barrier, and it also created uh, ethnic superiority amongst the Jewish people. And so uh, that was something that they uh, that was really deep within their culture. And so whenever Peter, whenever Peter... Uh, was experiencing this. He was transformed by this. Remember, Peter was the very first Jew that got a vision, a dream from the Lord that uh, the Gentiles were now, therefore, clean because of the gospel. Uh, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 10 is, is talking about the, the, how um, Peter uh, got a vision that everything was clean. He, he had that all right, and he was he was given the stewardship to try to teach us and proclaim this to all the Jewish Christians. But whenever the circumcision party came, uh, you know, old habits die hard, and uh, all these old feelings of the separation between us as Christians—we're the upper echelon, and y'all are down here—became flooding back. And he needed correction. He needed correction. It says that he stood condemned. It's, he stood condemned. And so look at how Paul instructed him. This is the heart, uh, heart of this passage. Look how gentle Paul is right here. Um, in verse 14, it says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentiles, for we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ. You see what he did? See how gentle he was? He could have, he could have done this. He could have said, Peter, you're being racist. You don't need to be racist. And he could have pointed to many sections in the Old Testament and the New to where he said, uh, you're breaking the no racism law. Why are you doing that? Shame. He could have done that, but he didn't do that. He didn't do that. And this shows us two major implications of the gospel. Number one, that the gospel is very, very broad in its reach, and it's very, very deep. It's very broad, and it's very deep. Okay? What do I mean by the implications of the gospel? Well, Peter, Peter uh, was being racist, was he not? He was saying, I am ethnically superior to you. And instead of Paul calling that out, he said, you're not keeping in step with the truth of the gospel. You know what that means? He's saying, you, Peter, 
Know the gospel up here, but in every aspect of your life, you have not worked it down into your heart. You need to work the, uh, the gospel from your ethnic superiority down to your heart so that you know that in Christ Jesus, there is neither Greek nor, nor slave. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And he's saying, you need to apply the gospel all the way down into your heart. And you see here, what do we think? Whenever we hear that, we, we hear like, okay, he just brought them back to the gospel and that transformed them and saved them. Because whenever we hear that, we, we're like, that seems really elementary. Because isn't the gospel just the ABCs, you know, admit, believe, confess of the, of the good news of Jesus? Uh, let's move on to something deeper. Let's move on to something more robust. Let's give, give me some deeper theology and listen, listen, that's not what Paul does. And you might be saying, well, um, we need deeper theology whenever we are, <laughs> whenever we are more mature and growing in Christ. Remember who, who he's talking to and pointing to the gospel? Peter. Who was Peter? He was the pillar of the church. He, uh, upon this rock, I will build my church, says the Lord. The Lord was the first one to look to Peter and says, the, the, the Spirit of God is working in, in you. The, the Father is revealing something directly to you. God is using you, Peter. And what did Paul use to correct him in his racism? The gospel. He brought him back. He brought him back to the truths of the gospel. And you and I, you and I need this same principle in every aspect of our life. We need to be brought back to the gospel to know that, yes, we, we know some of it here but we haven't worked it all the way down. It's as if uh, he says this in Galatians 5, 16, uh, in a way uh, that, that really expounds upon this. He says, but I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know what he's saying? He's saying, keep in step with what the spirit of God is informing your heart to believe, which is Jesus in your place. Keep in step with that, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and in his grace. Walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. It's as if the, the gospel gives us marching orders in every aspect, in every avenue of our life. I don't know if you've ever been in a marching band. Uh, I won't shame you and make you raise your hand so that we can all laugh or, you know, maybe be proud about it. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how your, your feelings are about being in a marching band, okay? I've been in a marching band before, and I tell you what, it was, um, it was a sobering experience because I was like, this is complicated stuff. Uh, this is pretty impressive stuff, but if you, if you know anything about it, you... Uh, if you've seen a marching band, which we all have, you're like, Wow. Look, they're making weird designs, like they're doing the Texas flag, and it's even waving. How are they doing that? And then the Texas flag turned into an octopus, and what, what in the world? How did, you, how did you do this? And if you know anything about marching bands, you know that most people aren't moving that far. You're just kind of going in your own motion, and every single person in the marching band has certain steps that they have to follow. And they have a certain way that help make them into this grandiose design. So the, the woodwinds, the brass, the flags, everyone has their own way, has their own way uh, to um, make this beautiful mosaic of whatever the director or the artist that designed the program has, has for us. And in the same way, in the same way, it's as if the gospel 
for every avenue of your life is trying to teach you that there's something that you can keep, uh, that the gospel wants to stay at the center of this aspect. So let me, let me ask you, is the, is the gospel at the center of your work? Have you applied the gospel to uh, every aspect of your work? To where are you thinking about living on mission? Are you thinking about how to do things with excellence? Not for yourself and not for the bottom line and not to profit, but to say, because I belong to God, I want, I want my work to magnify, magnify him. Your life at home, in your parenting, and how you spend your free time, and the shows that you watch. Is that in line with the gospel? Or is your time management in line with the gospel? Is your cell phone use in line with the gospel? Is the way that you deal with your emotional health and how you're working through trauma in line with the gospel? Or is it in line with something else? Or in line with the latest modern um, secular psychology? The way you use your money and you view money. Are you giving giving it in step with the gospel through obedience because of what Christ has has done for you? Are you thinking through your retirement in light of the gospel? Are you thinking through how how you spend time in Christian community in light of the gospel or or even what it means to belong to a church or all these things? All these things are like different parts of your life that have a certain order and step to it that at the middle, at the center of it, at the center of it has to be the gospel. See, we like to think of the gospel as, oh, you know what? God needs to be at the first of my list. He needs to be priority. He needs to be number one. And number two is something like family or marriage or, and then like down parenting, blah, 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 blah. I don't think the Bible talks about uh, priority lists of the gospel that way. I think the, the gospel, a better analogy is the gospel is the center hub and every other aspect of your life is like spokes on a wheel. They have to revolve around the good news of Jesus. And these are the steps. This is how you keep in step to where everything in your life is actually revolving around Jesus in my place, his life in my place, his death, burial, and resurrection. There's spokes on a wheel. And you say, Cody, that's hard. Yeah, it's a risk. It's a risk to talk to your spouse about her social media use or uh, his time on on his phone whenever you're at home. It's a risk. But here's the thing. Are you keeping in step? Are you keeping in light? Are you applying the gospel in every aspect of your life? For Peter, it was the way that he viewed other races. What is it for you? What is it for you? How is God applying these aspects of faith in the gospel deep into your heart? There is a book, um, and so that's the breadth of the gospel. That's how wide it goes. Um, and, and secondly, it, it goes very, very deep. And we'll close with this. Uh, look how Paul, Paul instructs Peter. He doesn't just say, stop it. What are you doing? Peter, aren't you the guy that told us all that Jew and Gentile are alike? What, what are you doing? Did you forget? Are you, are you dumb? And, and he could have done that, right? He could have shamed him into obedience for a little bit. And then it would have manifested in another way. No, he points him, he points him to appropriate his life in the gospel. Jeff Vanderselt in his book called Gospel Fluency opens up the book like this and he says, I'm an unbeliever and so are you. I'm an unbeliever. Shocking, right? Why are you writing a Christian book if you're an unbeliever? Like that's not a good, that's not a good sign. But he, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I in some aspects of my life have not worked the 
aspects of the gospel from here to here. I've not worked it all the way, all the way in. And I think for so many of us in this room, if I gave you a gospel quiz, I, I, I know almost all of you. If I gave you a gospel quiz, you'd probably give it back to me uh, making 100. Like you'd probably ace that thing. Perfect. Jesus is in my place. Um, all that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Have you confessed? I know that you've confessionally believed the truths of the gospel, but have you functionally believed them in every aspect of your life? Are they functional in your life? Have you worked the good news of the gospel in every area of brokenness into your life? Because I think if you had an honest evaluation about your motivations for why you do some of the good things that you do, you're trying to justify yourself. You're trying to justify your existence. You're trying to look at other people and say, hey, look at me. Look at how good I'm doing over here and here and here. Rather than the gospel motivations of I can live for for other people. I can live for God, for God's sake, for other people's sakes. You, You stop using people. You don't have to use anyone anymore. You don't have to filter through everything. It's like, if I say this, then maybe she will like me. And if she likes me more, then they'll make me rise up in the popularity. No, no, you don't have to use people anymore if you get the order right. If you understand the depths of the gospel, that you have been saved by grace through faith alone. Paul does not tell him to to stop it. He reminds him of the good news. You're not keeping in step. Remember the good news of the gospel. You don't need to treat other people poorly. Peter, you don't need to do this. Why? You have the loving acceptance of the Father. Through faith in Christ, he sees you as perfectly righteous. Why would you run after lesser, uh, lesser values of what people in this room think about you? You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Because here's the beauty of all of this. What the gospel does whenever it shapes and transforms your heart, which is really what Paul did. He went after his heart. And what are our hearts made for? Blaise Pascal said there's a God-shaped hole in every human heart. And how is that God-shaped hole filled? The gospel, the good news of Jesus. He goes after that. The gospel fulfills you because it gives you an assurance and acceptance that is not based on your own earning, your own striving, your own merit. It's Christ's merit in your place. The gospel is not earned. It's gifted. It's not achieved. It's received. Therefore, it's not dependent upon your ups and downs and how you're doing in your sanctification. It's not dependent upon your performance. It's not dependent upon even your faith. It's dependent upon the object of your faith, Christ, and what has he done for you. And whenever you meditate on that in every sphere of your life, whenever you say, oh, God, you've done everything in my place through Jesus, it will transform every aspect of your life. It will. It will. When you get the order of this all correct, then it will transform radically who you are. Why do you obey? Why do you obey, church? Redeemer, my hope for this body is that we can be gospel sinners. You know what that means? It means that every time we are around each other, we make much of Jesus. We don't give each other the law in order to fix ourselves. How could the law fix us? We'll just fail, and then we'll hide, and then we will be filled with guilt and shame. It is not a winning recipe. The only winning recipe is look what Christ has done and look at how Christ looks at you. And whenever you see that, whenever you see that, you'll be transformed and you'll be liberated. You'll be changed. 
And you say, oh, I can obey. I, I can obey. Why? Because I hear the voice of my lover. I hear the voice of my God. And I want to run after him. Is that your heart motivation? I pray that as we are asking God to instill these values deep into our heart, my prayer and my plead is that God uses us, uses us to make much of Jesus in all the brokenness in our life, in all the celebrations in our life, in every aspect of our life. That's what it means to be gospel-centered. And I hope and pray that this body enters in together because this is impossible This is impossible by ourselves. We need each other. We need each other to remind each other of the good news. Amen? Let's pray.